Recording in progress. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast, episode 75. <clears throat> That's pretty good, huh? We're kicking it off with the McAllister, one of my finest instruments, and uh, glad to be back here. I just got back from Cape Cod. I was doing a show last week, as some of you guys know, and thanks to all who came out. There's nothing more rewarding than doing these live shows and getting to meet people in person that listen to the podcast or follow me on Twitter. They're always so sweet and educated and, you know, of a like mind. And that's not what you're looking for, but, you know, you're doing it to perform as an artist and sort of get your point of view across. But when it connects with people, it's very satisfying. Not in like an ego-based way, just in a way that makes you feel less alone. And I think we could all use a little bit of that these days. You know, you get followers online, but they become numbers and comments and replies and anonymous, you know, avatars. So when you actually meet these people, it's like, oh, you're such and such, you know, you're pink tulip one, two, five. (laughs) You're an actual person. And they tell me about their lives and, you know, their teachers and, and whatever they do. You know, there's a genuine connection and that's heartening. So I just wanted to thank everybody who came out and uh, let you know that I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm still going to be doing the podcast and I'm going to be doing the car rants and such. But, uh, you know, I'm going to have some more live shows coming up in the fall. So I'll announce those soon. In the meantime, enjoy your summer. The rest of it, it's hot here in New York, boy. We're in a heat wave like I have not felt. I'm in the Hudson Valley about an hour outside of New York City, and it was 99 degrees yesterday on the heat indexed w- index, which is not normal <laughs> for this part of the world. You know, summer's supposed to be hot, but it's not supposed to be deadly hot. And it's not quite deadly here, but it is other places, and it's dangerous. And uh, we got some good news on that front, right? Because the climate bill passed yesterday, right? The budget reconciliation that is going to address climate change in a substantive fashion, you know, a substantial fashion to the tune of, you know, 400 billion was passed. And that's a victory. And that's a victory for Joe Biden and the Democrats and anybody who cares about the future of this planet. It came with compromises. Some of those compromises were championed by the traitors in our midst, meaning Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Sinema once called herself a Prada socialist. That's how she explained her switch from the Arizona Green Party, where she first came to power in Arizona as a state senator or state rep. And uh, she, she, you know, they asked her why she was leaving the Green Party as a, a social worker and sort of somebody who was into the environment. She said, well, now I'm a Democrat. I'm, I'm a Prada socialist, meaning she wanted to get paid. She wanted access to power. And when she pulled the con that she pulled, switching from rep to senator, and got a lot of support that people now regret, she went full on, now I cash in, you know, now I'm going to get paid. And I don't know if most of you guys know this, but she went, she left Senate two summers ago and took a paid internship in Napa Valley at a vineyard that's owned by a big hedge fund, you know, financial services guy. And uh, he paid her to learn about making wine, but also to go to these seminars every night and learn about things like, you know, carried tax and all this interest, carried interest taxes, and all these things that affect hedge fund brokers that that make them have to pay their fair share on the exorbitant amounts of money they make off of making their clients rich and in many ways making the rest of us poor. So she learned all about the intricacies of, you know, financial instruments and what that industry needed and now she delivers it to them. That's her full-time job. It's not representing the people of Arizona. It's filling her own pockets. And she's not even up for re-election until 2024, at which point she'll probably leave and take a multi-million dollar contract at Fox News. Let's be real, right? Joe Manchin, on the other side, did all he could do to sort of stop the bill. He finally acquiesced, and that's a victory. You know, even though he's obviously owned by the Koch brothers, and I don't need to relitigate that here. You guys have heard it enough, but 
even Joe Manchin sort of did the right thing. And I think in many ways, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats outfoxed Mitch McConnell. And that, that's awesome. But I, uh, and I want to celebrate it because you got to celebrate the victories when we have them. But you also have to be aware, somebody like Kristen Cinema, essentially what she's doing is leaving a window open for the thieves that are going to come in the night later, right? We shouldn't be getting resistance from Democrats. All the Democrats should have fell in line on this. It was a 50-50 vote. Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, cast the deciding vote, as you know. But having people in our midst that pretend to be Democrats that are actually serving their own interest and the special interests of something like the financial industry, who's going to turn around and try to dismantle this legislation if the Republicans take back the House and the Senate and certainly the executive branch over the next couple of years. So my point in that is it's a short-term victory. It's a, you know, it's a battle won in a war that is ongoing, and we have to look at our troops and find out who's on our side and who isn't. And somebody like Kristen Cinema certainly is not. So if you're listening in Arizona, please don't vote for her again, you know. And you can always make the case a lesser of two evils, but, you know, let's just change people's hearts and minds. You know, let's, let's let people understand what they're up against because they clearly don't, right? And they're clearly being brainwashed and that kind of stuff is ongoing. You had another CPAC rally this weekend, this time in Dallas, Texas, where the right stood and gave a standing ovation to Viktor Orban, a straight-up Nazi, right? A guy who says he doesn't want mixed races in his country. He doesn't want immigration. He doesn't want same-sex marriage. He's a homophobic fascist in line with Mussolini and Adolf Hitler, and even one of his top aides resigned after his recent speech on mixed races because she was like, this is just too much for me. And that was like his, you know, a woman who was one of his main people. So, you know, when your own party, you know, your own aides like, or you're like, you're too Nazi for me. And I was kind of down for this for a while. You know, that's a sign. But who embraces them? The right, you know, the Texas pseudo-Christian fascist wannabe wearing a star-spangled banner t-shirt and cheering. They love it. They love to hear that they're on the right side of, of things. And they love the way it's been packaged for them. And that's what I want to address this week sort of been a theme of the last few podcasts is like the right is good at presenting this stuff in a fun WrestleMania fashion, right? These aren't complex people. These people don't have any political sophistication, right? They react to, you know, fire on stage, right? Smoke bombs and pyrotechnics and please welcome Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, and they all clap because they're getting amped up on all this music and this jingoistic crap and they don't really understand they're clapping away their own rights. You know, Trump got up and gave his speech on Sunday or Saturday evening, and he said, I'm going to take away, you know, health care. I'm going to take away education. I'm going to dismantle every agency that makes government work, <laughs> and I'm going to fill my fucking pockets if I get back in power. And they're like, yeah, and they're going to be the first ones to suffer as they're suffering now, especially in a state like Texas, where your governor is imminently corrupt. Your senators are beyond corrupt. You know, they're despised by their own party. You know, Ted Cruz took his boot off and put it on a table at the Senate last week. You know, he's a clown. He's a Princeton-educated, Calgary-born clown elitist whose wife is a manager at, at Goldman Sachs for private wealth equity funds, right? In Houston, she gets rich people richer, you know? She's the director of that agency. You couldn't get more elitist than Ted Cruz, but he takes his boot off and puts it on a table and comes out at CPAC and gives a speech about his pronouns or kiss my ass, and they all cheer, you know? They don't think about the fact that one of their children may be in the LGBTQ community, and may get discriminated against, may get beat up, may commit suicide because they're taught to hate themselves instead of love and accept themselves, which is what we need to tell everybody to do. You know, any political message that preaches hate is evil. It's toxic. It's not where any of us need to be, and it's certainly not religious. It's certainly not patriotic. It's, it's you know, it's rhetoric. It's propaganda online with what the Third Reich said. And they're tripping over themselves to do this, 
You know, Marco Rubio talked about George Soros prosecutors in reference to DeSantis firing a state prosecutor because he was not going to enact laws that, that imposed hatred on transgender people and outlawed abortions, right? And DeSantis was like, well, you're fired then. And little Marco Rubio, the sycophant, jumped right on it with his own anti-Semitic screed in the negotiations that went on over the weekend to pass this bill. So my point is they know this poison sells to the people, and these guys are getting so deep into this con, this cultish thing, that they're cheering this stuff. And it's like a freak show. It's a carnival atmosphere there. You know, I'm sure you saw, but they had a dude in a cage. I guess his name is Brandon Straka or something. He was one of the Proud Boy types who attacked January 6th Capitol, I guess. And then he turned on his fellow, you know, insurrectionists, right? But now he's trying to make good again. So he was in a cage at this convention, like a, a re, you know, a replica of a jail cell. They had a chalkboard inside the cage that said, I was a person once. And then a bunch of hash marks, I guess, representing how long he was in there. A 20 and a 5 on the floor. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was kneeling between his legs with her hand on her lap and her head bound as the dude cried. It was surrounded by people reciting the Lord's Prayer. And that was like a freak show element. You know, that, that is the craziest kinkiest, weirdest crap I've ever seen in my life. And that is mainstream Republicanism now. You know, it's such a freak show that these people get enveloped in it. They get sucked into it and it becomes exciting. And I watch these clips, you know, because these people go out and pretend to be, you know, CPAC members and they interview the audience and, you know, what do you think of this? And they were all like, I like Victor Orban. I like what he's saying. You know, those illegal aliens are coming to ruin our country. You know, that's the greatest fraud that's ever been perpetrated on basically Southern conservative Americans, that immigrants are somehow coming here to hurt you. No, they're not. They're coming here to hold this country together in many cases. You know, does it have to be, you know, dealt with in a humane fashion? Certainly, right? But you don't put immigrants on a bus and send them to Port Authority, as Governor Abbott did this weekend and drop them off in the middle of New York City in a heat wave. You don't send them to D.C. as he did. They're using human beings for political stunts. And these people are coming to our country to better themselves and find a safe place to raise their kids and work to feed their families. And they're going to do jobs that a lot of Americans don't even want to do and then provide a better life for their children. And then their children are going to get educations and contribute to this country in a meaningful way. And we have so many complicated problems that we need all the talent we can get. You know, we have a void in this country of intelligent, compassionate people because the right wing and Fox News have poisoned literally generations of people. You know, a lot of white middle class suburban people in my generation are pretty much useless. You know, they go to their jobs, they come home, they watch Fox News and they bitch about somebody else taking something away from them instead of what they can do for somebody else based on the privilege they've been granted in this lifetime. That's the kind of stuff you need to address. You know, white privilege is real, but now it's white resentment, right? They're feeding off of resentment that's easy to fall for. It's like a sugary, fatty snack. It's like eating potato chips. It feels good. It tastes good, but it's not good for you, you know? And the fact that it feels good is because it's appealing to your basest instincts. And since the beginning of time, that's a trick of despots and charlatans and dictators, you know? That's what Hitler was able to get away with. And they're trying the same playbook in this country, and it should alarm every sane American because it's taken on a freakish characteristic that we have never seen before. Hitler didn't have YouTube. He didn't have Twitter. He didn't have dudes on there at four in the morning, you know, researching this crap and believing it. Look at Alex Jones, right? Look at that trial. Here's a guy who was making 800 grand a day off of something like this, a YouTube show. Mine is free, by the way, <laughs> you know? Everything's free. The podcast is free. 
You can come to the show and buy a t-shirt. That's the only thing I sell. This guy was selling supplements, had commercials, all this stuff, preaching hate to the point of, to the tune of 800K a day. That's insane, but it should scare people. You know, that how much wealth he accumulated, something like $275 million this guy's worth. A useless guy who has no skills, no real education, no insight, just preaching hate. And he figured his big hot button issue would be pretending Sandy Hook didn't happen and harassing the parents who lost their children, lost their beautiful young children, sending them to elementary school and having them slaughtered by a madman or mad kid whose mom tried to bond with him by buying him an AR-15 because the kid was fucked up and the only thing he reacted to was shooting people on video games. And she was like, maybe I'll get him a real gun and that'll make us bond and we'll shoot shit together. And then she, he shot her first, you know, and this kid had everything. I lived 20 minutes from Sandy Hook. It's beautiful. It's Newtown, Connecticut, man. I wish I grew up in a place so bucolic. I grew up outside of D.C. when I was younger till I moved up to the Hudson Valley. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where like that violence wasn't a game, right? But these kids who have everything get twisted and then they turn into school shooters and then some other asshole like Alex Jones figures out he can make a buck off it. You know, that's Sandy Hook something I never got over. I was working on the Stones tour when it happened and we had a day off and that thing happened. I've told this story before. And I was like, how are we even going to do the show the next night? We were in Newark the next night, and Springsteen was a special guest. And, you know, I remember him walking in, and I was standing backstage, and the look on his face, it was like he got it. He saw the weight of the tragedy. But, I, you know, I felt like the world should stop. Like, if, if, any, if ever anything was enough, enough, enough is enough, it was that. And what happened? It sold more guns. And then people on the right, like Alex Jones, realized, hey, this is an opportunity. I can exploit this for money because a lot of people don't want their guns taken away and they don't want to be labeled, you know, as extremists because they support the NRA and they like to have a bunch of guns. You are an extremist. If you have a bunch of guns in your house, you're living in fear. This didn't used to be a war zone. Fox News is lying to you, man. Nobody's coming to steal all your crap in the middle of the night. Those guns are going to kill you or a family member. Right? But the right sees it as an opportunity to grift. And this guy grifted off of the worst sin you can imagine. And then what happened? It happened again. Right? It happened in Uvalde, Texas, less than two months ago. And all those tough guy cops stood around in the hallway for 70 minutes while one teenager with one of those weapons ended too many lives of children. And the state didn't do a damn thing about it. The governor posed on a stage with a bunch of cowboy cosplay, and they attacked Beto O'Rourke for asking them why they allowed these weapons in the hands of minors. Or not minors, but 18-year-olds, right? All that kid had to do was be 18, and he bought that gun legally and bought thousands of rounds of ammo online. That is insane. That is a broken society that allows that. But the iconography of the right celebrates it, right? That was their reaction. Let's get on stage. Let's get a bunch of white dudes in cowboy hats looking tough, and that'll work. But it didn't work this time, and it's not working, and the truth is coming out. We've seen the videos. Right? We've seen the cowardice of these men that pretend to be sheepdogs and protectors. And now they're all scrambling to lay the blame and cover themselves. Because they know it doesn't work. It's like the curse on the house of Atreus, right? Violence begets violence. We need to stop the brutality of our culture. And an Alex Jones guy exploits that to the minions. And he was a close associate of Trump. Right? He was a consigliere in the January 6th attack. And the most interesting thing that came out of that trial was, we all know this great Perry Mason moment, his lawyer had received two years' worth of text messages off of Alex Jones's phone because they were accidentally sent to the Sandy Hook lawyers. And it's not just dick pics with Roger Stone, right? 
it's all these communications, presumably with Bernie Carrick and Giuliani and Roger Stone and Mike Flynn and all these other freaks that were sitting in a war room at the Willard Hotel and at Trump's D.C. Hotel planning this thing out like the military operation it was. And Alex Jones was the go-between with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and all these extremist morons that have been cultivated by listening to people like Alex Stones Alex Jones for the years leading up to this event, right? The point I'm trying to make here is this stuff is organized and the elements that gave us January 6th are still very much in effect. That is why they were having these rallies every weekend. You know, as I said a few weeks ago, the Democrats need to find a way to counter this. We need to find a way to have our own rallies and start educating people and showing them another way because the numbers are scary, right? Because Trump's put all his people in, it's, you know, in, at the state level who are not going to certify the next election results. We've seen that. His candidates won last week. Carrie Lake won in Arizona, a denier that there was a fair election last time. Any other time in American history, that would be insane. You'd be like a candidate, one who said they didn't believe that the president was duly elected. And you'd be like, yeah, not just one, but several of them. You know, Liz Cheney's going to lose her primary probably if she didn't already. I don't know when it exactly is, but the hate and ignorance is infiltrated to the extent that they're going to kick out Liz Cheney, daughter of Darth Vader, <laughs> you know, of Dick Cheney. It doesn't get more conservative. Dude shot his friend in the face on a duck hunting trip just to teach him a lesson. You know, he was the head of Halliburton KBR. Nobody's prosecuted more malfeasance around the world for the interest of money and petrochemical oil industry than Dick Cheney. Our entire foreign policy during the, you know, W administration was geared to how do we maximize profits for the oil industry, you know, and the military industrial complex. That guy, you know, his daughter who turned her back on her own sister who was a lesbian woman to gain acceptance into that party, which is shameful. She's redeeming herself now, certainly with her work, you know, on the uh, January 6th committee, but she's a dyed-in-the-wool conservative who will stab you in the back in a heartbeat if it means getting ahead or getting, you know, the kind of policies that allow conservatives to stay in power, like guns and anti-abortion stuff, because that's red meat to the base. That allows them to keep conning people, because they just say, hey, I protected life. I'm a Christian. I allowed you to have a gun. I'm a patriot. So don't look over here when I'm selling off public lands to Koch brothers so they could put a pipeline through your backyard that'll give your kids cancer. Don't pay attention to that. I'm waving a flag, right? I mean, that's, that's conservative, conservatism in a nutshell, modern, you know, Atwater, Reagan-level conservatism, right? So she's in that. And she is not even good enough for the Republicans now because she hasn't pledged fealty to Donald Trump, a 76-year-old con man in a diaper, you know, who did a two-hour rambling speech Saturday night telling people how he was going to take away their rights. And then said, oh, look, there's a blonde. Bring her up here. Look at that. Look at that. And he brought up some swimmer to get transphobic on the audience and couldn't help ogling her, tried to kiss her. She backed away thankfully, because he's got, they called him Captain Valtrex on The Apprentice. That was his nickname. I'll let you figure out why. So my point is, we need to counter this, because they're doing these rallies every weekend, and they're building the troops, just like Alex Jones was building the troops. And it's like whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. When one of their things gets taken away, they find an, another avenue, because the grift is all in the content. Right? The grift is just staying front and center and saying, donate to me, you patriots. Watch my show. Listen to my toxic poison. Right? And people send in their money because it, it, it hits the issues that they care about. You know, Kyle Rittenhouse is selling a video game now where he shoots members of the press. It's called Turkey Shoot. And it's Kyle Rittenhouse's Turkey Shoot. And he's shooting at cartoon turkeys that represent MSNBC, as he calls MSNBC. DNC, you know, a Trump tagline and CNN and all this stuff. 
That's crazy, you know, and people will eat that up. They won't learn the truth. You know, they're not going to learn. The Fox News listeners won't learn that every single Republican, 50 of them, voted against the $35 insulin cap for private insurers yesterday, right? So they continue to spend $1,200 a month out of pocket on insulin in red states that have the highest amount of diabetes, right? Texas is the epicenter of that stuff, the South. That's where people are eating all the fried food and are overweight, right? Because it's all the same junk food culture, right? And I'm not dissing on anybody who's overweight. We all struggle with that. But what I'm saying is it's that same industry and mentality and voting against your own self-interest. There's definitely more Republicans <laughs> with diabetes in this country, probably, than progressives and Democrats. It's a silly argument to have, but think about it. If you look at a map of diabetes, it's bright red in Florida and Texas and the Gulf states, Georgia, places like this, right? So those people are going to suffer because the Republicans didn't want to give Biden a win and they wanted to protect the pharmaceutical industry, which besides the oil and gas industry is their biggest benefactor. Okay, so they want to allow people to continue to get gouged, right? And what will they do in the next election cycle? They'll turn around and blame it on Biden. They'll say, you're paying 1200 bucks out of pocket because a Biden wouldn't stand up. I will stand up to the pharmaceutical industry if you elect me again, Mr. Ted Cruz or whoever, right? They'll lie because they'll know confidently that they weren't told the truth on Fox News and Ben Shapiro's show and Alex Jones or Joe Rogan or whatever dumbass outlet they're getting their propaganda from, they won't get the truth. And they know they're not sophisticated and complex enough to search it out on their own. And that's what they want. That's why they take the humanities out of schools. And that's why they're attacking public education. You know, DeSantis allowed anybody who had been married to a vet to become a teacher. No degree required in Florida. Teaching is a high art. It's a skill getting students to learn. Okay? Teachers are underpaid across the board in this country. Teachers are our heroes. Teachers are what you need to celebrate and hold up because they're allowing the survival of our democracy and our planet through educating children and learning how to think critically and learning the real truth. You can only change this place if you learn the truth about where you're coming from. That's why they're against CRT because they don't want people understanding, hey, you mean white Christian Americans aren't the good guys? We weren't nice to everybody the whole time? What do you mean? God didn't just give us America and happy people out there working the fields, happily giving to their, their, you know, the plantation owner, going to sleep snug at night. No, these were brutal men that were torturing people and making them do their work. Go look up sometimes what Thomas Jefferson would ration out to the enslaved people that lived on his plantation every month. It'll make you cry when you look at what they let human beings who they kept in shackles and made that do their work subsist on, right? That's the stuff you need to be teaching kids. I know it probably is hard to hear right now on this podcast. And you're probably like, what the hell? <laughs> right? But that's the truth. You can only judge the effectiveness of a business if you're honest about the saleable and unsaleable goods. As I say every week, I'm using like some recovery language here, right? You do a moral inventory so you can be honest about your defects and what you need to work on. And we could do that as a country. We could pay reparations. We should be paying reparations to African Americans and indigenous people. Straight up, we 100% should, and I think we will someday because ultimately, Unless we make good on our original sins, we'll never really progress because it gives cover to the element we're dealing with now. The Republicans that want to be like, nah, it's only white men, only white men rule. Screw that. I don't want you to get educated. Just let some vet's wife teach your kids because she'll probably wave a flag at them for, you know, eight months and then they'll get out with no real skills and they can work at the, you know, Piggly Wiggly or wherever. 
and support my friends that own all this industry and exploit workers, right? You don't want them getting ahead and becoming lawyers and challenging them or becoming educators. So DeSantis is the litmus test, you know? DeSantis is the lab of how they're developing fascism. Florida has become a petri dish for authoritarianism. And that's not to say the people in Florida are bad, but there's outward anti-Semitism. There's Nazi flags being waved. There's Marco Rubio, as I mentioned earlier, making allusions to George Soros, a Holocaust survivor. In 2022, in Florida, you know, and Jewish people represent about 3% of the population in Florida. So it's not large numbers, right? But it's enough that we have to be all hands on deck fighting this stuff. Because you don't want to see where this goes, and we've already seen where it goes. But we've never seen it in the fashion it is being wielded upon us now. You know, the German population was the most educated population in Europe, and they fell for Hitler, right? You can't make the same argument with MAGA. These are not educated people. These are people that have been trained like Pavlov's dog to react to keywords, immigrant, alien, gays, transgender. Trump just gets up there and says these words. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He's high out of his mind, right? And they react, they applaud, and then they all get together and slap each other on the back. And that's the part I digressed a little bit about, but when I watch these videos, the people that interview them and stuff behind the scenes, they're like, yeah, it's my 35th show. Love it. They're like deadheads for idiots, right? They're just like, there's a community there and those bonds are strong. You can't, you can't make light of that. That's a real palpable thing. When you get to come together and see your friends and you feel like you're all on the right side of history and it's fun and you got to watch, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene jerk some dude off in a cage, that's a good weekend, right? Hit the vape pen a couple times, called somebody a queer on the way home. It was fun. I can't wait till Alabama, Texas rocked. Yeehaw. That's what they're giving them. They're giving them a cult to participate on in and bring meaning to their lives. Do we do the same thing? No, because we're not idiots on the left. But we have to have a similar thing to educate people and uplift people. You know, we need concerts. We need musicians. We need inspirational speakers. Because I feel like part of us... You know, we're doing the legislative work, and Biden is kicking butt as a president. He'll go down as one of the most effective presidents, I believe, off of this last term of Congress alone. But that being said, we have to address the youth and the people, because I don't see them as super engaged on the left. And there's exceptions. These are generalizations. But I talked to you when I was out in L.A., I would try to engage people into politics, and they didn't know who anybody was. They didn't know who Adam Schiff was, you know, a 20-something driving an Uber, several of them. Don't know the name of their own congressman who's a national figure, right? Same on the East Coast. You know, the younger people, you know, it gets too much, and you tune out, and it's easier to watch somebody twerk on TikTok, you know? So we need those leaders that can engage them. We need to put them in front of an AOC and a Beto and a Pete Buttigieg, who's a great messenger, because they're down with the cause. I'm not saying they don't care, you know? They're a lot more enlightened than previous generations on a lot of social issues, especially with climate change and gay rights and things like that really matter, right? Abortion, you know, abortion is like, that's it right there, that one issue. Let's have rallies to take back reproductive freedom for women. We, I, it's boggling my mind that we've lost this. Indiana outlawed all forms of abortion over the weekend. Indiana, in response to a 10-year-old rape victim receiving an abortion from a doctor in that state, they made it illegal for anybody to get an abortion, right? We all know the case. The woman, you know, the young girl had to travel from Ohio, you know, to deal with the effects of one of the most heinous, horrific things you could imagine. And what does the state do? Hey, we're Christians. We're going to make sure that never happens again because we want that child. Okay, when the child gets born, do you want to give them social services? Do you want to give them education and health care? Nope, we don't want to do that. It's like I said, 
It's just a hot button topic to get dumb people all fired up. You're not religious if you oppose that stuff. You're a member of a vicious cult, right? Modern Christianity, in terms of how the Southerners preach it, it's a cult. Does DeSantis seem any bit religious to you? You know? Religion is compassion and love and empathy. You don't destroy the planet to help some dude who owns an oil company get richer. That's not Christianity. That's in direct opposition to the teachings of Jesus, you know? Brittany Griner. They attacked Brittany Griner. Trump did. Called her an evil person. Called her a bad person. Said she was loaded up with drugs. I'm going to tell you a little story. In the 80s, when Trump owned all these casinos, he needed to figure out a way to bring up high rollers in style to his casinos in Atlantic City, right? So he went into business with a guy named Joseph Weichelbaum. Joseph was his private helicopter pilot. He flew Trump's first uh, helicopter that was called the Ivana. Ironic, <laughs> right? But he flew the Ivana. He was Trump's private helicopter guy. And this dude, Joseph, also was a partner in an auto dealership in Miami. And the auto dealership was a front for drug smugglers. So they'd bring up cocaine from South America, they'd deliver it to this auto dealership, and then Joseph himself would get in his helicopter, load it up with cocaine, and fly it up to Cincinnati, where it would then be distributed to places like you know Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina. He was doing this for years. Trump was a partner in the business that this guy had set up to, to fly high rollers and stuff. It was all done under LLCs, right? So Joseph, you know, when he's not flying Trump's high rollers or Trump and Ivana around, was, was a drug runner. You know, he was personally flying up cocaine to Ohio. Joseph gets busted with 11 pounds of cocaine in his helicopter in Ohio. This is in the 80s, right? <laughs> well, this is like, you know, there's a war on drugs big time. In a place like Ohio, you get busted with 11 pounds of coke in your helicopter. You're in some deep shit, right? So what does Trump do? He gives Joseph and his brother a free apartment in Trump Plaza, which is one of Trump's buildings on the east side. It's an ugly, ugly building if you ever pass it. <laughs> but he gives him a uh, free apartment while he's on trial. Then the trial gets moved from Ohio to Trump's sister's federal district in North Jersey. Trump's sister, Marion Barry Trump, or Marion Trump Barry, right, presides over the trial. So the fix is in. Three weeks into the trial, Marianne Barry recuses herself and seals her recusal. So you don't find out why she did until six years later, Freedom of Information Act, they figure it out. She recused herself because her and her husband had flown on the helicopter with Joseph Weichelbaum. And Marianne Trump's husband, John Barry, was a lawyer for Trump's casinos, right? So she's like, all right, there's too many loose ends. Let me get myself out of here. They pick another judge. That judge reads a letter in court from Donald Trump talking about what a great guy Joseph Weichelbaum is. And the jury goes easy on him. They give him a slap on the wrist. 18 months in Danbury, right? He gets out. Trump gives him an apartment in Trump Tower, and the guy goes back into business, moving cocaine in Trump Tower for the next decade or so, right? And Trump's casinos, because you could buy cocaine in Trump Tower and Trump's casinos. It was a well-known thing. If you were a finance bro and you didn't want to get busted going uptown trying to score drugs on the street, there was brothels and there was poker dens in Trump Tower for years that you could buy cocaine in. And you were safe because Trump had so many NYPD guys on his payroll in the building. That's true. That's not, I'm not making anything up here, okay? But I want you to use that case as an example. So Joseph Weichelbaum, who was moving major weight of cocaine, is a good dude, right? But an African-American athlete who's also a lesbian woman, happily married, goes to play in Russia and has a vape cartridge in her bag, which is an infinitesimal amount of CBD and THC, and gets busted and sentenced to nine years in prison, and Trump and the right celebrate it. They say she deserves it, and Trump says we shouldn't exchange her for the prisoner 
that the Russia wants to do, and hopefully Biden gets her out because he needs to free Brittany Griner. But I just wanted you to use, you know, to hear that example. Trump doesn't is an anti-drug dealer. The dude's a drug addict himself. He loves stimulants. I told you all the time he would have drug dealers at the after parties, you know, all the time. Chuck Zito was his BFF at after parties, right? Dudes that were moving major meth were always around Trump and major coke. His son's got more cocaine in his nostrils right now than El Chapo has in his basement. Let's be real, right? The addiction and alcoholism is all through that family, as it is many, as it is mine, right? There's no shame in addiction. There's no shame in drug use if you get help, if it gets out of control. But if you try to shame someone else and pretend like it's a moral failing when it happens to an African-American athlete, but he's a good guy when it happens to your corrupt helicopter pilot who's been really running an operation in the 80s, which, by the way, decimated inner cities, right? The war on drugs decimated inner cities, the crack wars. And who profited from it? The CIA and the conservatives in the Reagan administration. Because, again, it allowed them to demonize a people that they wanted to demonize. And it gave them a knee-jerk issue to campaign on. Hey, I'm a Republican. Vote for me and I'll lock the wolf packs up. The gangsters, Right? So it all plays together. You have to see how it all connects. And that's the same language that Trump is using, that people used back then, that even Democrats fell for, right? Even Clinton came in like with three strikes and we're going to lock you up. And they create this mass prison industrial complex, you know, for nothing. You know, blacks were always treated unfairly the way crack was criminalized and powder wasn't. I mean, powder was criminalized, but, you know, you'd go to jail a lot more for smokable cocaine than you would for sniffable, right? Because it's like, hey, the finance guys and the rock stars like that powder, so let's, you know, let's not get too crazy here. But the crack, you know, that's generally going to be in a minority poorer neighborhood because we've put it there, right? They're not, they're not growing cocoa leaves in South Central and in Harlem and in D.C., right? So somebody's bringing it in. Guys like Joseph Weichelbaum, right? You can go watch a million documentaries on who was flying that stuff up from Jim Hole's farm in South America. You know? It's all well-established fact, but it's not a fact that the conservatives know about. Most Democrats don't even know the history of this stuff. You know? And how all these issues always intersect. They dovetail with each other because they come down to the same messaging, which is race and the conservatives ability to exploit race and fear and resentment in middle and working class white folks that were taken away from the democratic party the democratic party that delivered them five-day work weeks that made it possible for a guy to work in a factory have two cars in the garage and put three kids through college in the 50s and 60s and then what happened corporate raiders came in and the, you know the, the, the stock market became greed is good, right? And arbitrage, right? And corporate raiders became the, the flavor of the day. And they made so much money, they were able to buy so many conservative politicians that it became unstoppable, you know? Leveraged buyouts, LBOs. That's when they go in and gut a company. They buy it with borrowed money. They get out of paying taxes on it. They gut the company and they make a fortune even if the company goes out of business. It's a financial trick. It was invented in the 70s. And everybody got into it. Michael Milken, all these dudes. Carl Icahn. These guys are Trump's advisors. Carl Icahn was calling up Trump every night in the White House. You know? That's who they're serving. They're not serving the people. They're not serving the planet. They're not serving the country. They're certainly not serving democracy. They're serving the almighty dollar with catchphrases and hatred and resentment. And we're going to stop it. You know, I know that's a lot for a Monday morning. But we're going to stop it. And we, we have so many hopeful things that have come on the horizon just in the matter of last few weeks. And we need to celebrate that, but we need to get very focused and we need more of a push to get the next generation engaged. We can't just hope they show up. We have to make sure they show up and vote. 
because that's our only hope in this current model because they're cheating. The right's cheating. They're not going to certify a vote, you know, votes. You're going to have all kinds of little skirmishes all over the country in the next election. Carrie Lake was saying the election was fake until she won, right? So we have to, we have to counter the messaging. And, and I guess if my one critique is that, that I don't see us doing that. Every weekend, I see clips of a conservative all over Twitter, all this hate. And we have to pay attention to and watch it. But you don't see the opposite, right? You don't see speeches that inspire people. You know, like I, when, if you've come to my live show, you know I, I talk about like President Obama's inauguration. And I talk about this concert we did on the mall. And we had all these people there. And Pete Seeger singing This Land is Your Land with Bruce Springsteen and James Taylor. And, you know, we need a similar thing that people can feel that vibe of what it feels like, you know, when a couple million people come together to do the right thing. And we have a great pool of talent to draw from. We got Billy Irish, Eilish, <laughs> Billy Irish. I'm like a 60-year-old. I like that Billy Irish. Put her on. Billy Eilish, you know, Olivia Rodrigo, Pink. Pink's my age. My friend was a tour manager. She's an exceptional person. You know, there's, there's so many people willing to, to do what they can to pitch in. We got to really sort of get some momentum going. That's your blue wave. It's got to be a wave of hope and promise and palpable energy that we can feel. That's how we turn it around. When people wake up every day and say, how can I help? How can I serve someone else? Because that's where your real meaning comes from in life. Those are the real reward rewards. You know, fame is a fool's game. It never really works to like in the way you think it's gonna. It doesn't fill that hole inside of you. You only need more. I say this not as a, I'm not famous, but I've worked with famous people my whole life. I worked with Madonna and Michael Jackson and, you know, really famous people. And I've seen really unhappy people. So, you know, and for a variety of reasons, I've also seen very fulfilled people. You know, I always talk about Springsteen in my show because that guy shows up to work, man. He sound checks for three hours a day before he plays a four hour concert. The first time I saw that, I couldn't believe it, you know? I could not believe, like, wait, we're doing all this at four in the afternoon? You know, they'd have to kick him off stage to open up the doors to let the audience in. And my job on that reunion tour thing was hooking up the food banks with a table to collect money. And it was my favorite part because we'd be at the garden and Bruce realized what an opportunity that was for his audience to take a five bucks out of their pocket and dump it in a bucket, you know, and support Meals on, on Wheels and, you know, all the other great organizations in the New York area, the food banks and the pantries. And I was like the liaison, you know, it was my job to get the reps that would come and work the table at each show. And I also got to hook them up and bring them backstage to say hi after, you know, and my other job was bringing back, you know, celebs and Matt Damon and whatever, you know, and that, that was meaningless, but bringing back some guy who spends his life serving other people and he gets to meet Bruce or, you know, Miami Steve or Nils Lofgren, you know, who's practically an angel in real life. If you ever get around that dude's energy, you know, that was meaningful, you know, and, and art can encompass that, right? Art can be a part, part of that. That's why I was like, you know, you're sick of me hearing hearing me talk about, you know, Jackson Brown or Neil Young or CSN, but I learned from those guys, Harry Chapin, Pete Seeger. You know, Harry Chapin used to say, you do one for you and one for the other guy. And we need to get back to that. Like, what are you doing for the other guy? Because we're all at some level of privilege. Even those of us who are struggling, you can always help somebody. You know, there's a saying in recovery, if you got one day and the guy next to you doesn't have any, you got one day. You could help him. You can help him get to two days. Do you know what I mean? There's always something you can do. If you're breathing and your heart's beating and your eyes are open, you can be a part of helping this planet and moving things in the right direction, you know, and balancing those things that we all have inside that we know we could do more, you know, that we feel regret and remorse over things we've done in our lives. I've certainly wasted a lot of time and acted selfishly at many points in my life, you know, if not now, you know, but 
I get a chance to redeem myself every day. And this is a country in need of redemption, right? And it's going to come from each of us doing our part to make it a better place and protecting not just humanity, not just democracy and the principles of freedom and equality, but every living creature on this planet, every frog and crab, you know, there's so much life. I'll, I'll stop now, but I was in Cape Cod. I stayed for a couple days after the show. And again, thanks for coming out. It was wonderful. But I went to this place, Brewster Flats, that one of the listeners and guys who came to the show turned me on to. And, uh, you know, at, at low tide, the, the tide goes out for miles. It looks like miles. And you can just walk out there on the sand to these sandbars that are way out there. But as I'm walking out there, I realize I'm walking over life, right? There's, there's clam beds, and you see their little, like, necks coming up out of the sand, and there's tiny little crabs, you know, and there's snails, and there's all kinds of sea creatures, right? So it's not just an empty, you know, sand bed that's going out for miles. It's a habitat. It's complex ecosystem. And I had to really tiptoe. That became the game, was like to not disturb, you know, the life that I was walking upon, but to walk, you know, with purpose through it. And I watched this crab, I got into a water park, you know, and this big, pretty good sized crab, you know, four inch crab, like saw me and hid completely under the sand. Within a second, he just completely camouflaged himself under the sand. You know, he reacted like a person would. He saw fear and he hid himself. He took steps to like, you know, protect himself. And I looked at it, and I'm like, what complexity is there in the universe? You know, like that, that thing is just as smart as I am. He has as much desire to keep living and protect himself. And he has all the skill to camouflage himself and stuff. It was just an interesting moment. You know, there's so much wonder in nature. There's so much we can learn from other species. And we have to protect them so we can learn these lessons that we've failed to learn. You know, that we've lost already in all the conquering we've done in this country of indigenous peoples and stuff. You know, the wisdom that we've lost from those who learn to live in harmony with nature, we now have to recover ourselves, right? We now have to go out there and learn these lessons that the birds are meant to teach us, you know? Flowers exist for a reason, you know? Those colors mean something. There's something ethereal about the planet and there's something where if you study it and you stay present enough you realize you're part of it we're not separate we're all part of the same thing and it can be beautiful there can be a dance in this life you know amidst all the conflict and the pain there's joy and there's wonder and there's a reason to believe and you guys give me that reason for listening every week thank you very much that's another episode. I'll wrap it up now because it's got to come out. It's just, just past noon on Monday. So I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope you stay cool. I hope you stay positive. I love you. Peace. Until next time. Bye.